This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. OPEC and its allies decided not to change their production targets as the cartel of oil-producing states waits to ascertain the impact of a new Western price cap on Russian crude. On Friday, diplomats from the EU, the G7 and Australia agreed to cap Russian oil at $60 per barrel in an attempt to squeeze Russia's revenues. Russia said it, quote, will not accept the cap, though admitted that it had prepared for it. Volodymyr Zelensky, Ukraine's president, called the policy, quote, weak, saying it would not cause, quote, serious damage to Russia. There were reports that Iran was considering abolishing its morality police. Many observers were sceptical, but if true, it would be a sign that the government may be bowing to ongoing protests. The unrest started in September after Massa Armini, a 22-year-old woman, died in custody, having been arrested for violating the country's dress code. On Saturday, Iran's Attorney General, Mohammad Jafar Montazeri, said Parliament was reviewing a law requiring women to wear a hijab. Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission, said that the EU must, quote, adapt its state aid rules in the face of American climate legislation. European leaders fear that America's Inflation Reduction Act, which offers subsidies worth nearly $400 billion for green industries, will draw investment away from the EU. During Emmanuel Macron's visit to America last week, Joe Biden said that, quote, tweaks could be made to the legislation to allay European concerns. Demonstrators in Syria attacked and set on fire the governor's office in the southern city of Sweden. Heavy gunfire was reported during the incident. Earlier, hundreds of people had gathered outside the office, protesting against spiralling prices. Hunger and economic hardship demanding the resignation of the president, Bashar al-Assad. The civil war, in particular, resulted in a severe contraction of the economy. Urumqi, the capital of the Xinjiang region in northwest China, announced a lifting of COVID restrictions after unprecedented protests against the government's zero-COVID policies. The city, where the wave of protests initially began, will reopen malls, restaurants, markets and some other venues from Monday. Other Chinese cities have recently eased restrictions as well in response to the popular unrest. A volcano has erupted on Indonesia's main island, Java, prompting the evacuation of almost 2,000 people as authorities issued a high-level alert. Injuries have not immediately been reported, but residents were warned to keep eight kilometres from Mount Sameru as it blasted clouds of ash and poured streams of lava. Indonesia experiences frequent volcanic activity. Semeru last erupted one year ago, killing 51 people. Football World Cup, after a group stage punctuated by a series of extraordinary upsets, the first matches of the knockout round did not provide any shocks. England beat Senegal, whose star, Sadio Mane, is out of the tournament and France, inspired by Kylian Mbappe, cruised past Poland. And fact of the day, 607. 
the amount of gold in tonnes that central banks brought from January to September. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Squeezing Russian Oil Flows On Monday, the EU ban on seaborne crude oil from Russia comes into effect. At the same time, another complicated scheme to manipulate the energy markets has been agreed, designed to slash the flow of petrodollars fueling Russia's war in Ukraine while avoiding a global oil supply shock. European, including British, suppliers of tankers and insurance will be banned from providing services to vessels ferrying crude oil from Russia to non-EU countries. To ensure the ban does not decimate Russian exports and spark an oil price shock, America proposed that such services could be made available to non-EU countries so long as they purchased seaborne Russian oil below an agreed price cap. After months of wrangling, on Friday, the G7 Club of Rich Countries, Australia and the EU, agreed to a cap of $60 a barrel. But with Russia refusing to abide by any cap, it is too soon for the West to declare victory. Transatlantic Trade Troubles Europe has long urged America to do more in the fight against climate change. Now that it has, the EU is not happy. The bloc fears that President Joe Biden is following an America-first rather than a climate-first approach. The Inflation Reduction Act, Mr. Biden's flagship policy, offers green incentives worth $400 billion, but includes protectionist subsidies on key products like electric cars. On Monday, a meeting in Washington between the EU and the Biden administration could offer hints on how the pair hope to resolve the dispute. The text of the law says that exceptions can be applied only to countries with which the United States has a free trade agreement. America has no such deal with the EU. On Sunday, the European Commission's president, Ursula von der Leyen, warned that the bloc must, quote, adapt its own state aid rules in the face of America's green subsidies. Not a good sign for the meeting. Free Speech v. Gay Rights at SCOTUS Four years after sidestepping the crux of a dispute between a gay couple and a Christian baker who refused to make them a wedding cake, America's Supreme Court is taking another crack at the subject. On Monday, the justices will examine the case of 303 Creative versus Elenis. The question is, does the First Amendment protect a web designer who says her beliefs about marriage preclude her from creating websites for gay weddings? Lori Smith, the designer, says, Sacred freedoms of thought and mind bar the state of Colorado from forcing her to create messages that clash with her beliefs. The state counters that the law only requires Ms. Smith to supply gay customers with the same services she offers straight ones. She could insist on selling only websites containing, quote, biblical passages stating that marriage is a union of one man and one woman, as long as she sells them, quote, to everyone. Tricky questions at the heart of America's culture wars await. If a business can refuse to carry out work involving same-sex weddings, why not interracial ones, too? China's Faltering Economy 
On Monday, China's central bank will free up 500 billion yuan, 72 billion dollars, for lending within the banking system. After announcing a 25 basis point cut to the required reserve ratio, the amount of money banks are required to hold as reserves. In recent years, the People's Bank of China has routinely cut RRR to encourage banks to lend more. The hope is that there will be takers for the extra credit, but demand has been lackluster in China's decelerating economy. COVID restrictions have caused companies great uncertainty. Many planned investments in factories or new shops have been axed. In October, new loans declined to 615 billion yuan, 211 billion yuan less than a year ago. That is worrying for the government, which, in its quest for growth, wants companies to expand operations and build factories. Until China fixes its COVID problem, RRR cuts might amount to little more than pushing on a string. Picking the word of the year. At this time of year, as others are trimming Christmas trees, a clutch of dictionary publishers ponder their choice for word of the year. Oxford dictionaries will publish their choice on Monday, having chosen three finalists, which, for the first time, were put to a public vote. One is goblin mode, a state in which someone indulges their laziest or most self-indulgent habits perhaps suitable as a symbol for the first proper post-lockdown year. Another is hashtag I stand with, a hashtag used frequently in solidarity on Twitter, but whose status as a word seems questionable. The third is Metaverse, which Meta, owner of Facebook, and other companies have poured fortunes into developing, but which few people seem to be actually spending time in. It has been a strange year. War, economic upheaval, and a pandemic hangover are hard to sum up in a single dictionary entry. Perhaps 2023 will bring better news and more inspiring words. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Nelson Mandela, who died on this day in 2013. It is in the character of growth that we should learn from both pleasant and unpleasant experiences. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening 